0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,263. This week on Cars Yeah, we're honoring the La Jolla Concours, taking place on April 12th through the 14th. You can learn more about this fabulous event at LaJollaConcours.com. I'll be there. I hope you will be, too. Do it right the
1: first time, and doing it right doesn't necessarily cost more.
0: Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from beautiful Irvine, California, Mike Kuntz. Mike, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I am totally buckled up. Thank you.
0: <laughs> All right. I'll try to keep the car on the road here, especially with the beautiful old cars we're going to talk about today. Mike Kuntz is the director of the Mercedes Benz Classic Center in Irvine, California. Mike is a 34 year veteran of Mercedes Benz USA, the official importer and distributor of Mercedes-Benz cars in the United States. Mike established the Mercedes-Benz Classic Center as a business unit in 2006 to support owners of classic Mercedes-Benz cars with a host of services, including vehicle sales, service parts, and restoration. Mike is a certified car nut from birth who lives in Laguna Beach, California, and has the good fortune of having turned a lifelong hobby into a lifelong career. So, Mike, I've told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Before I jump into the questions, would you take a moment, share a little bit more about that career you have and a very obvious passion for beautiful old Mercedes-Benz automobiles?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Wonderful to be on the show. Thank you for having me. You know, 34 years with Mercedes, and I kind of started in an area that led to this uh, wonderful business hobby that I have now. I was a tech writer early on uh, from 1985 for a few years on. And my interview it was kind of an interesting interview, uh, consisted of me explaining to my future boss how a Solex carburetor worked, and uh, we used Solex <laughs> carburetors back in the day, and I recall very quickly, I did not have a Mercedes at the time, I had an Opel, of all things, and I said, what you do is you rip out the Solex, and you put a Weber in, and you don't worry about how it works, and the irony now is that we rip out Weber's and put the original Solex back into a Mercedes, so <laughs> that yeah. was my early start as a tech writer, and it's quite funny, sometimes a lot of the things that I've written in the past are things that we now reference today for what a uh, younger generation would consider a vintage car. And for me back then, it was just a new car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a hilarious story. And I can relate to that because I had a, a car that had a Solex in it and I took that out and put a Weber in it uh, that was much easier to deal with. But uh, yeah, when you want authenticity, it's got to be authentic. So yeah, you wonder where all those carburetors ended up, probably sadly in a landfill somewhere. But uh, Ah, that's a great story. I love it. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So, Mike, take the wheel.
1: Yeah, for me, it would be do it right the first time, and doing it right doesn't necessarily cost more. This is this is
0: classic, and of course, we're talking about Mercedes Benz classic. I would love for you to elaborate that on that a little more because you guys not only care for people with old Mercedes but you restore them so I would imagine you've gotten cars in there that maybe weren't done right the first time
1: Uh, yeah and that's a big challenge because often we're dealing with cars that might have been restored one or two times before and uh you know the issue there is that often you see restoration mistakes that were made in a split second that decision to do it a certain way and uh and it's completely wrong and it's completely difficult to re- re- you know redo it uh i give you an example uh, we're looking at a car right now to buy beautifully restored And the underside of the car is incredible looking, like wildly painted beautiful, right? The reality is that the car never looked that way new. And our objective in the end is to make the car look like it never was restored. It has the same appearance as the factory car, even with maybe what some would consider to be flaws that someone improved upon, but perhaps shouldn't have, you know, kept it. They should have kept it exactly the way it was.
0: Wow. So that's a conundrum because what do you do now when you're Mercedes-Benz Classic, it can't leave your shop looking like that. It's got to be mm-hmm. authentic. So there's a, that's a big balancing act. And I, years ago, we heard about this, say, on the lawn of Pebble Beach or Amelia Island, where cars were being, quote-unquote, over-restored, restored mm-hmm. to a level that were not the way they were authentic. So at Mercedes-Benz Classic, you guys are all about being
1: authentic from the factory right totally and 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 it really should look like we never did it you know it's kind of an interesting thing it's like restoring a piece of artwork an artwork restoration will never improve upon it, will not use different paints and all that kind of stuff to make it longer lasting. Uh, we look at it and say, okay, we're going to put it back the way it was. If it means that that black oxide uh, plated bolt is going to rust in two years, well, it's going to rust in two years. That's the yeah. way it is, and that's the way it should look.
0: Yeah. You know, I loved your analogy with art. I mean, you would never take a masterpiece and go, you know what? Instead of using these oils, let's use some acrylics or something to make it brighten it up. You know, I mean, Mona Lisa looks a little dingy. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's put let's some rosiness <laughs> into her cheeks. <laughs> yeah. You would never do that, would you? No. Oh my gosh. Know. Well, I would love to share, have you share a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were going to be a car guy?
1: I think I got it early on from my father. My father wasn't necessarily in the car industry, he was in the photography industry, but he always had a foreign car, whether it was a Fiat, an Opal, or something like that. I recall very early on that we would go for a drive around the block in our neighborhood in New Jersey and I'd be sitting on his lap and he'd teach me how to shift the car. And I was very young at that point. I have one fond memory of uh, going to a Dairy Queen in a Fiat 1100 four-door and my father going out to the counter to get an ice cream and me wondering what is that lever on the steering column and what does it do and I pulled it out of gear. And there the car took off down, down the driveway with with me in it, not knowing what to do. So those are things you remember <laughs> and you never do again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I, I got it from my dad. You know, he enjoyed yeah. tinkering with cars. He wasn't a restorer or anything like that, but he, he liked tinkering and helping himself. And, and that's where it came from.
0: You know, I have visions of your dad frantically chasing the car with two ice cream cones in his hand. yelling hit the brakes hit the brakes and you're looking up going what are the brakes dad and and, and i can't reach them i'm too small (laughs) yeah you know i'll tell you something mike you're not the first guy who's told that story there's been a couple (laughs) others on this show thank goodness you all survived but uh, yeah lesson learned about little kids in cars set that emergency brake or better yet don't leave them in the car yeah. Uh, yeah, bad things can happen. Of course, cars these days, they don't go anywhere unless the key's in, but uh, yeah. those old cars. Yeah, my dad had an AMG TC, and I remember doing something similar. Thank goodness the driveway was not very steep, and I didn't go very far. But um, yeah, that's a funny story. Your poor dad. Well, let's take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge, or even better, a big failure. I want to walk. have you walk us through this time that was perhaps Not so much fun, but not to to relive that, but more to teach others that there's a way out, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that these are great learning lessons if you look at them that way. So take us through an experience, if you would, and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward in your life, in your business, in your career.
1: I, I think it's an appreciation for doing things the right way. Early on, I went to school in Germany for a couple of years, and I actually bought uh, had the good fortune of buying a Mercedes a 230SL uh when they were not all that valuable. I bought a really terrible one. <laughs> had no oh, clue. no clue yeah. and now running the business that we run today I'd be embarrassed to say yeah that was my first car because people would look at me like I'm completely crazy. Why would I ever do that? So, <laughs> I think learning through that, learning uh the the craft and learning, uh, appreciating the the talent that you need to have to do things the right way. Those are all kind of life lessons uh, for me. I, I can't think of any kind of total disasters that I had learned from that. I wouldn't even consider that one. It was just a learning experience. But uh, one now that I, I, I know how those cars should be and how they should feel versus the car that I had back then. But nonetheless, that car... I was very proud of that car, and uh the ability to to buy something like that and to learn even in the bad condition that that car was in, learn about the difference uh as opposed to the cars that I was normally used to you know i had a yeah. my first car was an opal and and I loved that car, but this was a different world, even though it was a completely run down car it was ten times the car that the opal was, and um you know learning from that. So, you know, and we've done things here, uh, I think in our building this business, we started out as a kind of more on a service-oriented level because we we started from zero here, right? In 2005 And so we've learned uh, from mistakes that we've made in in restoration and and ones that we, of course, were fortunate enough to correct, but ones that we didn't make further on because we learned from it, you know, and that's the main thing, you know, where you go, okay, it was completely logical what we wanted to do there in terms of restoration process, but it it did not turn out right at all. And uh, and you learn from it.
0: You know, this is an important thing I want to touch on for a moment because So many of us have in our mind that there's a certain classic car we really want. And when we find it and we go look at it, we get the red mist. I know that's referred to in racing, but I call it the green mist. And the green mist basically means that you forget about cost and you just fall in love with the car before you really can look at it rationally. What are some tips you might offer people who want to buy an old car so they don't fall into the trap of the green mist? And the trap that you fell into where you bought a car that maybe wasn't the best thing to buy. Yeah, right?
1: I mean, take your time. Take your time and, and and don't let emotion overrule. You know, that logical brain part of what you're doing is really important. Now, granted, you should be able to in life uh, satisfy your emotional brain sometimes, but realize what you're getting into. And it's funny that you call it green mist. We bought a green 300 SL that we had known from Pebble Beach and we loved that car. It was bright green. And the car was at on the lawn at Pebble Beach, uh, had a white leather interior. And we bought the car based on our emotional reaction to the car, didn't do our due diligence on the car. And the car turned out to be a very, very bad car. And where, um, the car had been restored 20 years prior, which normally is a good thing because you say, okay, it's aged well. It's fine. Right. But the car was never really driven more than on and off the truck. And then we found that the engine was completely assembled wrong, engine damage, uh, a ton of bondo, all kinds of things, where we go, okay, we'll never do that again. And we need to really take a moment and not have faith in something that you see visually and say, wow, 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 let's go, let's do it, you know, And, uh, and, and say, wait a minute you know, it doesn't really make sense to jump into something like that without really checking it out further. Fortunately, with that car, that was at a time where the market were was really not where it is today. So we could spend our way out of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Spend your way out. That's a rare thing to do when it comes to yeah. an old car. And, and my
1: father would always say, if you had a crisis, that was something broke. It goes all fixable with money. Right. And that was really the lesson learned there. And fortunately, uh, you know, we did fine with the car and uh, we fixed everything. We Actually, in the end, completely re-restored the car. Uh, so I think take your time, do your research. Don't necessarily buy the first one. You know, uh, think about it. Think about what your expectations are, too, right? I mean, some people will be okay with a uh, less than perfect car, um, you know, they, and they may actually rise to the challenge of a very poor car because they're able to help themselves, You know, if if you're able, if you have skill and talent and patience and money, you can fix everything. And some people, you see that nowadays, you know, in the whole barn find phenomena where people buy things and you go, that makes no sense, right? The car sold for more money than a really good one. And it's a mess, the car, a complete mess. And someone's being rewarded for their neglect of that car, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know. It does occur, right? It does occur. Yeah. People do it, yeah. and, they, and they're and they up to that challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, God bless those folks. I tell you, you know, the other thing I always say is get yourself involved with people who know these cars. Join a club. Yeah. yeah. Uh, get in touch with people. That in, in the case of Mercedes, know old Mercedes. Start to yeah. talk to people and use those people to help guide you because not only can they help you find better cars, uh, they can help defer or dissuade you from making a really silly purchase. And what I've always done too, and I've, I have a lot of car friends who call me their car doctor. When they see a car they want, they call me and they say, Mark, talk me out of this car. And I try to be the rational side because they've already gone off the deep end. They're already writing the check and I, I can hear the checkbook opening. I'm like, stop,
1: <laughs> yeah. stop.
0: Let's, let's have a discussion here. Mostly their wives call me <laughs> and say, Please stop Bill or Eddie from buying this car. Please. Uh, but, you know, find a friend that's trusted. And even if that friend isn't an expert, they can see things. Take them with you. They can see things on that car that you're not even looking at, like the hole underneath the floor mat uh, that goes through to the pavement. But uh, your advice is is uh, very well taken. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle. You've touched on some of the cars you've had, the Opel. What what model Opel did
1: you have? It was an Opel GT. Oh, uh, I love and it. And I, yeah. I love that car. My father, my father, as I said, usually had a Fiat or an Opel, and he had an Opel Cadet, of all things, and it was a 1.1. Uh, leader. Um, I remember uh, we would go, I lived in New Jersey at that time. We grew up in New Jersey and uh, we would go into New York and we'd be on the Palisades Parkway. And there was one hill that that 1.1 liter cadet couldn't make it up past 40 miles an hour. It was unbelievable. And then one day, my father worked in the city. One day he comes around the corner and he comes in an Opal GT. And, you know, for me as a, um, it was a 72. So it would have been, I would have been 12 years old for me. It might as well have been a Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I and, had a good friend in yeah. college. who had one and we used to drive, uh, each other every other day to ride share. And yeah. he had a white one. And yeah. I remember many times he go, you want to drive? You know, he goes, I don't feel yeah. like driving. I'm like, yeah. I, and I love the way those headlights, the way they're covered the headlights flip. flip. Yeah. They flip yeah. to the side. Yeah. I
1: I loved driving that little
0: car. It was like a little baby Ferrari. Yeah,
1: it was just cool. And when you think that car was a very simple, you know, technically very simple car, almost you could argue crude. It wasn't much more than a cadet with a nicer body and a bigger engine, Uh, but it drove really well. For what it was, it drove really well, and I enjoyed it. And it was, was you know, kind of my little dream car, and eventually my father gave me that car when I got my license. So I, I had that car for many, many years. Um, wow. Finally had to sell it when things started getting beyond my budget where, you know, the I had a problem with the wiring harness on the car, and you would touch it, and it would turn to powder. The, oh the, the strands, the copper strands were somehow decomposing or something corroding. And where you sit <laughs> yeah. there and go, the whole time while you're owning it, you're like, I can fix that. I can fix that. And at some point, you're like, I can't fix that. That's just not, you know, within yeah. my my willingness to take the entire car apart and put it a new harness. In. Right. And yet yeah. we do that all the time now here. But, you know, as a young guy, I, I thought, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that.
0: <laughs> I'm guessing Mercedes-Benz Classic has a few more resources than a young kid had with yeah, his Opal yeah. GT. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. How about uh, Seller's Remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go you wish you had back? Is is it that Opal or is there something else?
1: Uh, well, you know, the thing is, it's one of those things where I always, uh, I occasionally look online for another Opel GT, and it's one of those things where you go, you know, your memory is probably far fonder <laughs> yeah. than the reality, yes. you know. Yeah. And and yeah. I always say, maybe don't go back. And I think of things like cars we grew up with, that Fiat my father had, and all that. And I see them occasionally, and and you go, maybe I should just buy that at a Kicks and buy it, right? But then you realize. No, nah, don't do that. I would say from a business perspective, the funny, the very first car we bought here is a business when we were still actually in New Jersey. We bought a 280 SL fully restored, beautiful car. And uh, we were at some event and my vice president at the time comes up to me and goes, I sold your I sold your car. We're like, no, don't, you can't sell that car. That's the only car we have. You can't sell yeah. that car. Yeah. Oh <laughs> well, my he gosh. sold the car. Who am I to say to a VP uh, that you can't sell the yeah. car? And uh I yeah. think we got 60 grand for it. And that was back in 2005, which was probably a huge amount of money uh, for a Pagoda. uh would be kind of only an average Pagoda today. So I wish I had that <laughs> car back. It was a beautiful car. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll tell you something, Mike. I have a saying. Old cars are like old girlfriends. The memories are much better than going back to the realities. So, Absolutely. Just just keep those memories in your mind, if you will, especially if you're married. You'll get in big trouble if you do that, so don't go there. Well, let's talk a little bit about Mercedes-Benz Classic. I would love for you to share a lot more with our listeners about all the services that you guys provide. What is so unique and special about Mercedes-Benz Classic and why, if you love old Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz Classic in Irvine is the place to go.
1: Well, uh, you know, the first requirement for working here is that you have a passion for the cars. You know, it's not just a job. Uh, so everyone here is required to be somewhat of a brand ambassador, if you will. We look at the cars, many times we kind of personify the cars. We have a saying, do right by the car, you know, because often we're faced with cars that have been messed up. And, and sometimes we are, for some people, the last resource to do it right and do it correctly. We get a lot of cars that are... Um in very poor shape, but those are the biggest challenge cars and we can rise to the occasion. Uh, We've had cars that come in here that are completely, they look like they've lived in underwater or in a bog somewhere that are completely infested with all kinds of things that are nasty. And uh, you know, and we look at that and go, we don't, we're not horrified by it. We're kind of joyed, overjoyed by it in a way because it represents the challenge. So we do everything from minor repair and minor repair can be, You know, a few thousand dollars up to let's say fifty, sixty thousand dollars where we're correcting a whole bunch of things in the car to make the car perform again the way it used to and the car maybe doesn't need a full restore, uh, but we do also quite a few full restorations where a customer will buy the car at auction, and we might have advised them, you know, looked at the car prior to the uh, the customer buying the car, and then we tell him, okay, good car, this is what we feel about it, and then he buys it, and he'll tell us by text, okay, it's your car now, go at it. And, you know, completely redo (laughs) the car, you know, which is kind of funny. We enjoy that. We live vicariously through our customers. We have some customers that a regular car is not enough for them. You know, they want something special. So what we do is we look at something that we would love to do and uh and then we pitch it to the customer and uh and hopefully he says yes and we go after it. So that makes the project much more special for us. So we've we've done some cars that are kind of built up as race vehicles and and mm. historic uh, competition cars and made them look like that, made them perform like that using the data that we have from our own archives in Germany, make make a very special car for us in some ways and it sounds a little bit jaded, but we do a lot of 300 SLs. And, yeah. uh, and we can do them pretty, pretty easily. Uh, you know, they're, they all involve a lot of work, but we're, they're familiar territory to us. Yes. So the ones that are a little bit unusual are challenging, but also very rewarding. Uh, we're doing a 500k right now, pre-work car. And that car came in, looked like a pretty good car, was bought by a customer at auction, and then we discovered that half of the wood structure of the car, because these cars have a wooden body structure with metal over it, half of the wood structure of the car wasn't even there. It was all uh, covered with resin where someone took bu- buckets of resin and pulled, poured it into cavities. And so, uh, you know, not only are we, are we metal workers, but we're woodworkers as well. And we have to recreate all of that. We do quite a lot of that. And then even everyday stuff in terms of selling parts, uh, we're a parts resource for customers that own these cars and our own network dealers. So Mercedes-Benz new car dealers, of course, sell classic car parts as well. And uh, we're the resource for them to figure out what part is actually Applicable, especially when you've had a lot of parts that have been superseded over the years. And, uh, you know, they're not quite sure what the correct part is. So we have a hotline for that purpose, and we support our dealer network and as well as selling the parts directly uh, via the store.
0: Very cool. Now, if people want to find out more about you, what's the best website for them to go to?
1: I think you go to our social media sites. You know, I used to push everyone to our our classic website, which we have under MBUSA.com. Forward slash classic, but that's kind of um, a static site. Not too much going on there. You can look at us, uh, look us up on social media channels, whether it's uh, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Very heavy Instagram, and our address is always the same. It's at the at symbol mb classic center, all one word, and uh, that's how we do our primary communication with the outside world.
0: Fantastic. Now I know that uh, you guys are involved with the upcoming La Jolla Concor. One of my favorite Concour events because it's in the city where I grew up. What's your involvement with the La Jolla Concord and what did you or what do you like so much about that event?
1: Uh, well, it's in our local market, so it's important to be in our local market. A lot of our customers uh, that have done work with us uh, show their cars there, so it's it's really important to support them at that market. Of course, there's a business side to it where we gain new customers with shows like that. And mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know the show is a nice show because it's it's relatively compact. It's in a beautiful location. It's a beautiful day, uh, and you can enjoy beautiful cars, so yeah. very easy for for us to support, but very beneficial to us from a business perspective because it is in our backyard.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. For those listeners that want to learn more and hopefully join Mike and I at the La Jolla Concours, just go to lajollaconcourse dot So, Mike, up next is the last lap before we put the pedal to the metal. Let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars yeah I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark, a Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. At hey, Mark Green here from the Car's yeah Podcast. Did you know you can now see me on the Car's yeah TV show? That's right, Car's yeah is now on Mav TV. I visit some of the past Car's yeah guests and take you along for the ride. Go to Mav TV.com to learn more where you can enjoy Car's yeah TV. Mav TV is also available on DirecTV, Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through MavTV.com TV.com online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. All right, Mike, we are back. And I have a very introspective question for you. I'm going to put you on my psychologist couch here and ask you a question. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, manifested into a vehicle parked in the garage there, it's not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a car, what
1: would you be and why? I'd be a 300 SEL 6.3 <laughs> sedan. <laughs> wow, I knew know exactly. it's kind of boring, but, but uh, you know. So you knew exactly what you were, are yeah, <laughs> <that>, you are. <laughs> yeah, that is an intriguing car to me. And, uh, you, you know, you drive a lot of cars, and I love 300 SLs and all that, absolutely fantastic cars. But um, you often think, okay, what is the car that I could drive every day? Who am I every day, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that car, I love that car because the car has a dual personality. Right. It's very um, low key Q ship, if you will, in a way, you know, under the radar. And yet, if you want to have some fun, you can be a complete animal in it. (laughs) Yeah. And you shock a lot. You shock a lot of people, you know, that (laughs) car will get up and go. Yeah. And by even by today's standards, it's a very fast car. Beautiful, classic build quality. um, Incredible idea because that was a car that really wasn't on the books to be done, and it was done a little bit under the radar within uh, Daimler-Benz at the time, and they created a a need for something that no one thought they needed, right? So I I like that car because of the fact that you... You know, you can drive totally normal. You can't drive like a maniac all the time, right? You can't always be pushing it. So if you want to drive totally reserved, and I'm, I tend to be that way myself. I'm kind of low, a little bit low key, maybe, maybe, I don't know. And, uh, but if you <laughs> do, if you want to have some fun, you can step on it and, and see the shocked look on the person next to you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Wonderful cars. Nice answer. Well, up next is the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick. Lips of the Throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive or old automotive advice you've ever received? Buy the best car. Yeah, every time. Just buy the yep. best you can afford. Yeah, definitely you'll save in the long run. How, how about a personal habit? Is there one that you seem to practice that you believe has contributed to your success over the years?
1: Be authentic. Be your true self. You know, and if you if you're your true self and you show your passion, it's contagious. Um, I always tell my guys this is a business that has no logical need. You know, <laughs> yeah, you could buy for what emotion. you're spending on this work, you can buy the nicest new Mercedes there is, you know, no matter what model. Yeah. And yeah. uh but it's not about that, is it? It's about passion and emotion and and you know, and demonstrating that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How about a resource? Uh what's a great resource that you'd like to share that you think our listeners should uh should get involved with?
1: Well, um, you had mentioned it before, the Mercedes-Benz Club of America is absolutely fantastic, a great publication, uh, a lot of resources in there. If you need to find vendors, uh, you know, we advertise in there, but, you know, obviously we don't offer everything in the world, so there are a lot of vendors in there that advertise that are all very specific to Mercedes-Benz, and and you had mentioned this as well, you know, the ability to connect with people, and these people, you know, they're enthusiasts as well, so they gladly help. You know, everyone everyone helps. You have to sometimes take things with a grain of salt because everyone isn't always necessarily correct. But, you know, you kind of find the common denominator in that and you can arrive at very good information.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been a a member of uh, the BMW and Porsche Club for many, many years. And I've always thought that finding used Porsche BMWs through the club is one of the best sources. Same for Mercedes-Benz Club, uh, because those people tend to be more uh, authentic. They tend to be more caring of their cars. They take really good care of their cars, and that's a great place to start if you're looking for an old Mercedes. If I could wave my magic wand and arrange for you to sit down and have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be?
1: I would reach back to our our history, of course. I would love to speak to Rudolf Uhlenhauk. And he developed uh the three hundred s l and uh to talk to him because we often you know we we often say when people look at a three hundred s l and there are a lot of experts out there and and they change things on the cars and they modify things and they make things better, I always look at it we can't pretend to be any better than the genius that built this car you know and we don't we don 't really go that route and so this guy you know certainly was pivotal. In our history overall, our racing history, but to produce a production car out of a, a race car was quite a feat. And, of course, this had a lot to do with Max Hoffman as well, obviously, yeah, because if yeah, Max yeah, Hoffman yeah. had not been around, uh, this would not have happened. But um, Uhlenhout, of course, was the one that made it happen in the end. So, for me, he's, he's kind of a hero in our history.
0: Yeah, he was uh, a big part of the Mercedes race car department as well. Correct. And, uh, you know, when you look back at some of those cars, especially one of my favorite old Mercedes is the 300 SLR, Coupe. saw that when I was in Stuttgart at the Mercedes Museum. And, oh, my gosh. I mean, you think about the SL, the 300, the going, the Roadster, but that car yep. took it to a, it's like a Zagato body Aston Martin. I mean, it yep. just went to the next level. and. Yeah, uh, and, so, and, no, so, and
1: known as the Uhlenhaut Coupe, right? So yes, that, that yeah, is basically... Yeah. And the cool thing about that story is that he drove that car... As a regular company car, they kind of slapped an exhaust pack on the outside of the car uh, to make it somewhat street legal, and he drove that car. And he, uh, they would employ test drivers to do test runs, and they would give them a challenge to run down to Munich and back in a certain amount of time. And the test driver said, "Uh, it can't be done. I can't do it. It's not possible. And then Olin would say, give me the keys. I'll do it. (laughs) <laughs> and he did it. So he was the real I didn't deal. Know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I
0: didn't know that was his company. I mean, can you imagine that's your company car? I mean, bring that forward to today to a company and saying, well, here, you can have one of the race cars as a company car. Why don't you just drive down in Munich and back for lunch and tell us, tell us how fast you can do that. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Well, how about a book or a magazine that you think our listeners would enjoy reading?
1: Um, You know, I'm not so much a book guy. I do read a lot of periodicals with uh, having to do with the industry uh, or our our specific brand. So the Star Magazine, as part of the Mercedes-Benz Club, uh, is wonderful. Uh, Sports Car Market is is wonderful, too. I love Keith Martin. He's terrific. I enjoy that. I I enjoy reading historical accounts of, of cars because in the end... Uh, It's not really only the car, it's the person that's connected to the car that made the car perhaps famous, right? So there's a bit of uh, life history in uh, in every car. So uh, reading a good uh, historical account of something, which is often part of the Star magazine, almost every month they have some kind of history uh, lesson, if you will, in there. And so I I find that fascinating. I enjoy it. Yeah, I would
0: encourage people if you love old cars, you don't have to own a Mercedes to join the Mercedes Benz Club. And that publication. Not unlike, say, uh, the Porsche Panorama if you're a Porsche Club member or Roundel if you're a BMW Club member. All these magazines are filled with fascinating articles. They're filled with cars for sale, uh, service people, parts. It's a great way to get into that Mark's history and enjoy it. And, of course, uh, Sports Car Market, love the magazine. A shout-out to Keith. Uh, He had a stroke not too long ago. He's recovering quite nicely. I saw a video on Facebook where he got to drive a car again. So shout-out to Keith for his recovery. I'm sure we will see him back in the he, road. He, very he was soon. very
1: proud to do an outing in the car and go to McDonald's. So I thought that was yes. kind of cool. <laughs>
0: Which I thought was funny. He's a very healthy guy. You know, he runs yeah, every day totally. and stuff. And I'm like, what Keith, what are you doing? Going to McDonald's. But uh you know, kudos for him uh for bouncing back from from a very serious deal. So uh uh we love you, Keith. Hope you're feeling better. Well, I'll remind our listeners you can find all these great resources at uh, Mike's show notes page on the Cars Yow website. Just go to Carsia.com, type in Mike Coons. K-U-N-Z is the spelling of his last name. And you'll find all these great resources right there on the Cars website. All right, Mike, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world. It doesn't matter where it is. It could be in the Mercedes Museum. And I'm going to acquire it and bring it there to you in, in a beautiful Laguna Beach. I had lunch there two weeks ago with my mom and my sister. Love Laguna Beach, especially the art festival they have every year. But there's a couple rules to this game that we're playing today. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars or toys with. You have to drive it. No garage queen. So pick something you can take out there to the Coast Highway and enjoy. And here's the kicker. It's the only cool collective car you can have in your garage. So what can I buy you?
1: I'm going to have to say it's a 300SL, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I kind
0: of thought we'd go there
1: my My first experience when I, I as I said I was with mercedes been with Mercedes a very long time um, in two thousand and three I was given the classic project to do. We had a car in our corporate garage a, a going, and my boss at the time said that car's your responsibility now I mean you're kind of like, can I do that? Am I allowed? Can I drive that? Is it okay? You know, and I still have a video somewhere where the very first outing, I had an intern at the time who's now an employee with us. And uh, he photographed me or filmed me as I'm driving this car for the very first time. And that kind of sticks with you, you know, And, and we've done a lot of rallies on these using a 300 SL. And the car the car is an amazing car because you could, you could flog that car all day long, run it hard, extremely hard, and yet you could pull into traffic and the car won't complain. It drives perfectly okay. And on these rallies, there are a lot of other cars on the rallies, uh, frequently Italian or British cars and, and everyone's kind of rebuilding their car at night and we're like, all right, let's get gas. That's all we have yeah. to do. You know, and is and the
0: that car, the uh, is that the black going? wing you sent me a picture of you sitting in?
1: Uh, that's one of that. That is 417. So that's the Fitch car, John Fitch car. Oh, okay. And uh, so that that car um, that goes a ways back. But uh, yeah, that's one that's shot on the grand. I had for many years a, a rally roadster uh, with some ridiculously tall roll bar, a uh, roll cage on it. But I'm a tall guy and it looked kind of funny, but I was happy it was there. And that car went like the devil. And it loved it. And you had the feeling that the car, and, and there are cars like this out there, that you run it hard all day long and it does the car well somehow. The car runs yeah. better and it just, the car, you can tell the car enjoys it, you know. Yep. So, yeah. you know, that 300 SL is so iconic. And even to this day, even following one on a rally, you look at it and you go, it still looks like a spaceship and it still looks modern. It's It's somehow timeless in a way and uh, and it's a complete icon, you know? So yeah. for me, that's the car.
0: You know, years back, I got to drive one of those cars and I was shocked at how modern feeling it was for such an old car. I mean, just, it was like a br- solid brick of gold. Now, you want the Gullwing or the Roadster? Do you have a preference?
1: I would go for the Gullwing. I, I call it, it's the car in the raw form. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it has some yeah, peculiarities yeah. in terms of handling and all that, but it, once you know that, and you know, not what to, you know, what you should not ever do. Um, yep. it's actually quite rewarding. Uh, the Roadster's terrific for other reasons, you know, having an open, open top and it's a little more updated rear suspension, a little more predictable handling, but I like it in the raw form. I like all the mechanical yeah. noises and all that. You know, it, it is really what started it all.
0: I'll bet. All right, Mike. Well, I'll get to work and see what I can find you out there. Uh, there's a few cars available. I know that most recently a car just sold a silver one with a blue interior and my uh, past cars, yeah, I guess Roy Spencer from Mercedes heritage tried to buy that car and he's been a little frustrated because he has been trying to buy an So for a while and they somehow swoop out from under him. But, uh, Maybe I can uh, get my hands on one for you here today. All right. We'll see what we can do. Oh, my gosh. They're so beautiful. Mike, you've taken us on a wonderful ride today. Really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with me and the Cars Yale listeners. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off down the Coast Highway from Laguna Beach in your very own 300SL Mercedes Benz?
1: Enjoy yourself. It's important to reward yourself. Absolutely. And you could
0: do it at Mercedes Benz Classic. I'll make sure to put a link to that on Mike's show notes page on the Cars. Yeah! website. And don't forget to join Mike and I at the La Jolla Concours. We're going to both be there April 14th on the lawn in beautiful La Jolla at the Cove there. You can learn more about that at com. Mike, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you at the La Jolla Concours.
1: Thanks, Mark. This was great.
0: You're welcome.